welcome to the Elevate Live podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. We're in this series, we're talking about, we're talking about notorious sinners. And if you've been to our church before, you know we have this, this new screen thing on stage and we're gonna try that out. I'm a little bit, I'm not nervous about it. Um, there's another word I, I maybe could use if I knew a different word than nervous, but probably I'm a little nervous about using this screen. It's our first time doing it. So we're gonna try it out and, uh, and see how it goes. So we've been talking about uh, just notorious sinners. What does it mean? The Bible tells us m- multiple times about how Jesus, when he was, was hanging out, he hung out with notorious sinners. He hung out with people that uh, were not good people, that people in the Bible, people in the stories of the Bible, all the really good religious people did not understand why Jesus would roll with the people that, that he rolled with. And so the title of my message today is The Gospel of the Notorious. And before I jump into it, there's two different books that um, if you're a reader like me or if you're a learner, I, I, I don't have the time today to go through this whole thing. But the gospel is, um, the word gospel, okay, just means good news. So sometimes we, in, in church culture and in Christian culture, there's these really biblical words that a lot of times get used. Gospel is one of those, one of those words. It's just uh, an old word for a really thing that all of us love. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm gonna talk about today. I'm gonna give you some good news. And um, so this word gospel means good news. So the good news of the, of the notorious and the gospel biblically is this really deep thing about why we need it. Why do we need good news? All of us need good news. Why did Jesus come? The whole deal. So there's two different things I want to just recommend to you if you want to take a little bit deeper dive in your life. The first is um, there's two books. One is called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. That book will wreck your world. Um, A lot of us, like I thought I was really good at forgiving and then I read that book and realized how mean I was. Um, And then the ragamuffin gospel. I just like the word ragamuffin, but that's also Uh, That's also one of my favorite books that I've ever read about how God feels about me. And sometimes we get the context for how God feels about us from other people and from how other people have treated us and how how people that are Christian or people that are raised in church treat us. But that that book in particular, The Ragamuffin Gospel, kind of, it's Brennan Manning who wrote it is a friend, or was, he he passed away not too long ago, but he was a Franciscan monk and uh, he wrote just, about this amazing thing called grace and how it works. And so um, I wanna start with just what he said. So he said, the gospel is for the beat up and the burnout. It's for the burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase of life from one hand to the other. It's for the inconsistent and unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. (laughs) It's for poor, weak and sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It's for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. It's for smart people who know they're stupid. And I feel like that's part of being smart. If you wanna look up a Wikipedia article later, look up the Dunning-Kruger effect and you can learn about that. Um, Not gonna get into it. Honest disciples who admit they're scalawags. I mean, like, where do you use these words? We should use that word more. It's for everyone who's weak, weary, and has grown discouraged along the way. And so that's how Brennan Manning opens this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I want to talk about the good news. I just want to, I just want to give you some, some good news today. In the midst of our life, in the midst of all the stuff that, uh, that we experience, 
all the stuff that we go through, all the ways we feel about the world, all the ways that we feel about ourselves, all these complex things that are just navigating. I think it's important uh, just right now that we pause and just like breathe in a little bit of peace. And, um, and so before we get into anything, let's just take a second. Let's like, uh, I'm not a new age person, but let's center ourselves. <laughs> let's just pray. Let's just like get in the right frame of mind. Let's get in the right frame of heart. And God, we just come before you and we thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. God, we thank you that you give us peace. God, we have so many expectations. We have so many things that we want. We have each one of us in this room, each person that can hear my voice. God, we all have our own hurts and habits and hangups and difficulties and struggles, God, that we face. And we, have all, we all have things that make us feel unqualified for your love and for love of other people. But thank you that you don't see us the same way. So I pray today, if even for a minute, God, that you can pull us out of ourselves and help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, this is kind of where we got the, the idea of this series from. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have it, they have it on the screen. Um, but you also probably have a Bible on your phone, so you can read that too. I'm not, you know, paper Bibles are good, so are electronic Bibles. So Luke chapter 15 Jesus, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to hear Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that in ancient, in this Jewish culture, to, to, even, to even be around people that were considered sinners was a bad thing. And to invite them into your world uh, was just unheard of. Like you would never do that. You would never catch a Jewish person even hanging out with a non-Jew. You would never, you would never find them eating with a non-Jew, much less someone who everyone knew was a total screw up. And so, uh, so, so going on in this, in this chapter, Jesus tells three different stories. He tells one story about a lost sheep, he tells one story about a lost coin. Then he tells one story about the lost son. And where I want to find ourselves today in the context of this story is in the story of this lost son. So to illustrate the point further in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. His father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. A pod was like a seed from a tree. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, 
bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. So in this era of history, just like today, the only time you would receive an inheritance is when your parents passed away. So the son comes to his dad and he says, hey, like, I'm done with y'all. Get, I'm out. I know you got a lot of money and just give me my part of it and I'm leaving. The father doesn't argue with him. He doesn't debate with him. You know, the story tells us that he just says, okay, you know, here's your inheritance. I'm gonna split all the stuff, all the stuff that I've been building, all my holdings, you could just have your part. And the son goes and he, and he does what, you know, wild people do. He does what notorious sinners do. He just blows it all. Just spends it all on what the Bible terms as wild living. And then he, he says to himself, and, it, and I, want, I want you to understand that none of us operate this way. I think it's important for us to see that. We don't roll this way. Number one, if you're my kid, you come ask me for a bunch of money because you're going to go be an idiot. I'm not giving you anything. It would be bad, like wisdom would say, it would be a bad idea for me to write you a check so you can go do a bunch of dumb stuff with it. But, he, but the father does it. He gives him whatever he wants. Then he goes and he spends it all on wild living to the point where he's with pigs. Now pigs were unclean animals in Jewish culture. So for this guy to reduce himself from whatever riches that he was at and whatever family he happened to be at, for him to reduce himself down to the level of not only feeding pigs, but now he's eating with pigs because he doesn't have any other, any other alternative. He says to himself, well, I should just go apologize to my dad and just whatever, whatever my punishment is, uh, I'll take it. He goes to his, he goes to his, his, his father's house. And um, I think it's just important that we understand the context. He comes to his father's house and the Bible says, while he was a long way off, his dad sees him and he runs toward him. Now, rich people, rich people today don't run, right? You heard Clay, Clay talk about that and, and Jeremy talked about it, but just in general, like people that are wealthy, go do that for me. Oh, my son is coming, you know, servant, fetch him please, right? <laughs> But the, but the father was overwhelmed, the Bible says, with love and compassion. He ran towards him. And then you know, like you and I know, when we've messed up, like when we've messed up big, or when we know we have to have some really, really hard conversation with somebody, we're gonna rehearse the conversation like a hundred times in our head. And we've got all of our prepared responses to, okay, what if they say this? And what if they say that? Like for me, I'll, like I'll, you know, I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to have a meeting today, Sunday. I'm going to have a meeting on Thursday. And here's what I'm going to say. Here's what they're going to say. I don't know. I feel like I'm the only one that does that. Like you guys aren't. Okay. So some of us do. It's okay. So this son in this, uh, yeah, for anxiety. So great. <laughs> so this son in this story, you know, he's a human being in his head. He's rehearsed this, you know, his dad's going to verbally just assault him. Be like, I, you know, look what you've done. You spent all my money. How, how could you ever think I would treat you as a son? You, you owe me restitution. You're going to have to, you know, ah, I got all these steps you got to follow to be restored. And the son starts talking to him and the, his dad doesn't even have time to listen to his apology. His son's like, I'm so sorry, dad. I'm so sorry, all this stuff. His dad didn't even acknowledge him. His dad looks at his servants and he says, hey, my son's back. Bring the ring, bring the robe, bring the whole deal. We're gonna have a party. That's ridiculous. 
That's not how we operate. That's not how, that's not how human beings are. Like, you know what, if you screw up and you make me mad, I don't love you anymore. And the way you act determines how I act towards you. And that's just how it is. That's just how we roll. So the Pharisees in this story and in the, in the context of the gospels, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus and they're like, why would you hang with those people? Because your behavior matters. Like, I'm gonna be around you if you're right like me. I'm gonna love you if you love me. That's human, that's humanity. And Jesus, Jesus tells these stories and he says, I'm gonna show you guys why I roll with notorious sinners. Because what we gotta know is that, uh-oh. Yeah, true love. Sorry, I'm a little nervous, it's gonna work. True love is not dependent on behavior. If I love you, I don't love you based on how you act. That's, how this, that's what this father shows us. Now that is not, that's not human. None of us in this room act that way. We don't treat people that way. I love you if you love me. I respect you if you respect me. You know, I'm gonna be kind to you if you're kind to me, but if you're not nice to me, well, you better hold on. Like you better brace yourself. But in, but in, in Jesus' context, what he's saying is this is how I roll with people. I don't love people because of how they are. I love people because of who I am. So my, my love for somebody is not based on their behavior. My love for them is based on who I am as the father. So in this story, he's saying the, the behavior of the son is irrelevant to the father. And that, to me, as I read this, I know this is probably like an oversimplification for so many of us, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that someone would act this way. It doesn't make sense that a father would act this way. Before and after, it's always the same. Jesus uses this story to illustrate for us how he is and how we can be with each other. Because love is, not, love is about who you are, not what they do. So Jesus is trying to show us this. He's trying to give us this picture, this perspective on what love is about, on what caring for people is about, on what hanging out with notorious sinners looks like. Because, because not only... Um, does God have a responsibility that he places on himself to us? God wants us to be the same way as we begin to walk with him, as we begin to understand who he is and who we are and who we're called to be. So in the story of this father and this son, the father, number one, he just writes him a check, which none of us would do. If we knew our children were gonna go just spend it on wild living, and he knew what his son did. His son comes back just covered and just messed up, jacked up, all screwed up. Probably shouldn't say that. Messed up. I said messed up already. But his son comes back and the father looks at him and, he's, and the father's always been the father in this story. So God's always been God to us. Some of us, we've, we found ourselves in this, in this spot in life, found ourselves in this position in life no matter, you know, and the truth is we live in a context now where... <clears throat> where we think that even though we know this isn't true, we've grown up in, a lot of us have grown up in church, we've grown up knowing God, we've grown up around people that, that know God, that walk with God, and in the, in the context of that, even knowing the character and the nature of God, we think that we've screwed up too bad. For God to do anything for us, for God to love us, for God to bless us, because you know what, we've heard messages, stuff has been taught, stuff has been preached, that's, that's like, hey, if you don't do X, God's not going to do X. That's not how God works. That's just not how it works. I encourage you, don't just read those books. 
when you listen to podcasts, all that stuff's wonderful. But go read, go read the scripture for yourself. Read these stories for yourself about how Jesus deals with us. Because no matter how long we've been in church, no matter how long we've called ourselves a Christian, no matter what our life has looked like, you and I on the inside of ourselves, we know that we're not good enough. Like we know that we're not deserving of like other people's love, we're not deserving of God's love. So here's how we live. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. It's not a winning strategy. When I was in high school, I had this teacher, I had this teacher, oh my gosh. Like, I, I've never had as many issues with a teacher as I had with this one particular um, teacher. And I came, I remember I came home from school one time and I was talking to my dad and I just said, I said, you know what, like, blah, 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 blah. you know, she doesn't respect me and you know what, when you, this was like kind of the thing that set my dad off. I said, when you give respect, then you'll get respect. That's just how it works. My dad was like, that's stupid. <laughs> he didn't say it that way, but that's pretty much the conversation. Like, that's not how it works, son. So this whole, this, whole, this whole thought process came out that we use in the culture of our church that says you're not honorable because someone else is honorable, you're honorable because you're honorable. So yeah, man, let's do it. But then, okay, someone's not nice to you or someone takes advantage of you and I. Someone does the wrong thing on purpose. It's easy to forgive ignorance, but when, when, you know, when someone's stupid, then well, you know what you're doing and you deserve everything that's coming to you. That's how we begin to operate. But if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. That doesn't work. That's not how God wants us to work. And that's ridiculous because everyone else works that way. And God, I'm just trying to exist within the culture. Like this is just how human beings are. How can you, how can you put this expectation on me to be different and to be better? Because they should be better. And if they were better, then I would be better. And at the same time, we're all trying to learn about leadership and leading ourselves. This is 2000 years ago, by the way. This isn't like, like we didn't write this in 1994. Like this has been out for a really long time, this whole philosophy. And it's funny to me, and just honestly, it's funny to me that I even get up and talk about this stuff. Cause I think in my mind, hasn't this been said a whole bunch of times? Hasn't this been said a whole bunch of different ways? Don't, don't all the people in this room understand that? Aren't we all like uh, trying to understand the same thing? Some of you that are hearing this, like you know more about this story, you know more about the context of the gospels, you know more scripture than I do. But we find ourselves in a situation in life where we have to be reminded something that we, something that we already know. Because at the, end of, at the end of the day, you and I have this decision to make as people. The decision we have to make is, are we gonna be, the way my dad used to say it when I was a kid is are we going to be thermometers or are we going to be thermostats? What that means is are we going to just feel the temperature in the room or are we going to set the temperature in the room? Hey, if I'm nice to you, you be nice to me. That's, that's a thermometer and that's okay. That's how the world works. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. So, you know, if like I go in the store or if I go to a restaurant today and that waiter's not nice to me, you know what? You're not getting a tip. I've, I have a person in my family who I will not say what their relation is to me, but just know they're in my family. And uh, I would go to restaurants with them and they would put like $5 bills on the table in front of the waiter. And uh, every time the waiter would do something wrong, they would take a dollar bill off. That's how we live life. 
This is like the way that, and you know, you know how we justify it to ourselves? We say to ourselves, this is the way the world works. This is how it works. This is how it works. And, and Jesus, okay, so we're, we're the Pharisees now. We're the people in the story that are like, why would you hang out with a notorious sinner? Why would you roll with someone like that? Because Jesus, you're not really understanding how human beings interact with each other. And Jesus is like, yeah, I totally get why you would be that way, but let me tell you how I am. And hopefully that can inspire you to be a little bit different. So there's there's just these things in this story that this father did that just really blow me away. Number one is he wrote the check. Number two, when the son came back, he didn't beat him up. You know, number three, you threw a party. Why are we gonna throw a party? This guy's a, this guy's a clown. Like he hasn't apologized for anything yet. He hasn't changed anything. So, so this doesn't work though. Joseph R. Cook said, grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. And all of us in life, we're, we're just gonna bounce into each other. No matter how hard we try, at the end of the day, I think you and I have this understanding like I'm gonna mess up. I was watching this thing by Brene Brown the other day who's um, an author, she wrote a book called Daring Greatly. And she, was, she talks about in that book about how um, if you try to live your life with courage, it's not like you might get hurt, like you will get hurt. It's not like in human relationships, okay? What we're trying to do in life is we try to minimize pain as much as possible. And in human relationships, that's impossible to minimize pain you are going to get hurt. Stuff's going to have the potential to wound you and I. There will be things that happen to us that scar us, that's, that are a part of our story forever. But grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. The Bible talks about the grace of God, and how God's grace is not something that we've earned. It's something that God just gives to us in the midst of our imperfection. So when you and I, interact with another person's imperfection, what is our response to that? Is our response to that to be wounded, to be hurt? That's totally justifiable. I'm not, saying that it's, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be hurt. I mean, there's very real hurt there for all of us when things happen. And the worst things for all of us that have probably ever happened in our life have always come at the hands of another person. So the father in this story is probably hurt, but he didn't just accept him. He ran towards him. Father in that culture is not gonna run, but he had so much compassion for this broken son that he had that he ran towards him. So the proper response to brokenness is compassion, biblically. When, we, when you and I, brokenness is not always weakness. Sometimes brokenness is anger. Sometimes brokenness is people's anger. Sometimes brokenness is people, you know, not knowing how to process their own emotions and so those emotions come out wrong. Brokenness is when people mistreat other people. Brokenness is when people don't care about other people. So the proper response to brokenness is compassion. What is compassion? It's not accepting brokenness, it's running towards it. So compassion doesn't say, hey, I just like accept you and just be broken and it's fine, I'll get over it. Compassion, compassion is not only do I accept your brokenness, I love you in spite of it and I'm running towards you and I, and I believe the best even when the worst has been displayed and I see the good that's in you and I'm gonna fight for you and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna believe for you and I'm gonna hope for you. So there's this question that all of, us, all of us can ask in life when we're dealing with human beings, the question that we should ask the most is what does love require of me? 
There's gray area. There's stuff that we don't understand. There's stuff that we can't figure out. Like, I don't know how to be with this person. I don't know what's going to help them. Can I just be just really honest? We used to be honest in this room. Nothing you do will ever help another person. It's not what it's about. The only, the only person that can change anybody is God. You, you being, you being like, there's not one time in my whole life that someone has ever been judged into salvation. Like you're a sinner, get saved. They might get scared of hell and go, you know what? Like whatever that is, I don't want that. But we can't rationalize it. You can't have enough conversations with someone to get them to change. Maybe you're at the point with a, with a particular person in your life, it's like, why, like, how much do we have to have this conversation? Or you're the person that people keep having to have the conversation with. How much do we have to talk about this? Like, my gosh, you're killing me. You're wearing me out. There was a person in particular, like a, a while ago, long time ago, I, I felt like I had the same conversation with them like five or six times. So I said, hey, can we like sit down and have a meeting? I'm like, yeah, sure. Just make sure it's not about that. We never met again. It's not a good thing, by the way. I'm not saying that as, as a good thing. I'm saying as humans, we get to the point we're just so fed up with it. We're so fed up with talking about that person, talking about the situation, dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with that we want to be done. But the question that we have to ask ourselves if we call ourselves Christ followers is what does love require of me? What does love require of me in this situation? Not what do I want, not what makes me feel good, not what creates the least amount of stress in my life, not what creates the least amount of burden for me because our, our goal sometimes as human beings is to reduce the amount of complication that's happening in us and around us. And so, you know what? You're a mess and I'm gonna build a little wall and I don't really love you that much. I mean, I love you, but you stay over there in your corner. Don't bring your mess into my world. But, but compassion is running towards the broken people, running towards brokenness in people's lives. And so in this story, in this story, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit next week, but in this story, it's not just forgive and forget. So some people, it's like, well, you know, wisdom, I read this quote, and it's, I think it's dumb, but it's, it's not a good quote. I don't even know why. Like, I feel like if you're going to be quoted, you should say something good. It said, you know, wisdom forgives, but it never forgets. It doesn't care about either one of those things. The, the father in this story says, hey, you're back, let's party, whatever. Whatever happened, that happened. Let me just respond to you with compassion. That's ridiculous. And I'm, and I'm, asking, I'm asking all of us this morning to be that way. I'm not asking you to forget. I'm not even asking you to really walk in forgiveness, although that's really important. I'm asking you, what if there was a, and I'll talk about this some, some you know, next week, but there's a particular person in my life who, who just kind of, um, threw an unholy hand grenade into my world and uh, kind of blew everything up and it went nuclear and it was like, you know, craft Chernobyl. It was so, so great. And uh, so my, like I was like, I'm done with them forever. And they were in the valley of decision, trying to figure out what decision that they were gonna make, if they were gonna do the right thing or the wrong thing. And I said, you know what? No matter what their decision is, I will never, I will never speak to them again. I will never be in relationship with them again. And I'll work on forgiving them, but like I'll forgive them and then have a read between the lines moment behind the hand. <laughs> Just being honest. 
So some, some pastors probably wouldn't share that with you, but that's a, a journey for me. <laughs> so so, so in, in this book, Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall, he says full forgiveness. Like, you know you've forgiven someone completely. Number one, when you don't have to tell anyone the story anymore. Number two, when there's a total cessation of negative feelings about that person and the relationship is fully restored. Ugh. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want relationship back with that person. This father in this story, here's the, here's the thing that God shows us about our relationship with him. The father in the story, it doesn't matter what the son did. He just wants to be in relationship with his son. Like he's so excited that his son is back that we're not even gonna worry about the actions right now. You know what, like you're back. We'll talk about that at some other point. But let's just have a party right now. Let's just celebrate, because you're back. You're broken, you're messed up, you're wounded, but you're back. So in our life, in our life as people, here's, here's what you and I, what my hope is today for, for all of us is that we can have a revelation of really just how God feels about us. Because this is, this is where it starts. This is where it starts for you and me. Okay, I'm not, I'm not asking you this morning to make some kind of behavior modification that's just gonna change everything in your world. This is a journey for all of us. The journey toward forgiveness is not like, hey, just forgive them and move on. It's not like, hey, hey guys, walk out of this room and why don't you go be like the Father? It's not how it works. We have to, we have to want to let go of stuff in ourselves. And let God, let God be there for us. And you might not have a relationship with God. You might have been in church a long time. You might have known God a long time, but you might not have a relationship with him like the story of the father and the son in this story. You might not see him like this father. You might see God as, as a person who's got a hammer that if you screw up, he's gonna hit you over the head. And you know what? God's not gonna bless you because you did that. And God's going to bless you because you did this. God's feelings and his behavior and his attitude towards you has nothing to do with what you and I do. Zero, absolutely zero. Your actions do not matter one bit to God. And if you think otherwise, you're not living biblically. Just, just being honest. That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how Paul said it worked. That's not how God says it works. This grace, the grace that God gives us, the Bible says grace covers a multitude of sins. Grace is a gift that God gave. God's the father in this story to us. So, so it's so easy for us to get focused on, I just have to make sure that I follow all the rules so that God's not mad at me. God is never going to be mad at you. There's not, never, never. It's impossible. Jesus hung out with notorious sinners. Who in your mind, I'm not asking you to, to answer this question, but who in your mind is notorious for their sin? Like serial killers? I mean, the worst of the worst. Jesus didn't like just go, hey man, love you. Glad you're in church today. All right. <laughs> Someone else go deal with them. That's not what he did. Jesus hung out with those people. He went to their house. You and I, we might not be notorious for our mess ups, but there are definitely people that are. And Jesus hung out with them. So the fact that Jesus did that shows us how he responds to our sin and our difficulty. And we've told these stories throughout this entire series, but guys, we gotta stop judging ourselves. We gotta, start, we gotta stop making things in ourselves about our own behavior 
as if this is somehow going to make God happy. And I know that flies in the face of, uh, you know, a good amount of Christian tradition if you grew up in church, but let me just be honest with you, that's not how it works. I encourage you to just read the scripture for yourself because my own reading has nothing, like me, me, my behavior has nothing to do with me and God's relationship. God just loves me and he's for me and he's about me. And that game over series, we talked about why your behavior is so important. But there's not one thing you can do to make God mad at this point in your life. He's the father in this story. Because in our life, we might not be the people that we want to be. We might be a long way from our goals. We may have more failures than achievements. We may not be wealthy or powerful or even spiritual. We, may not, we might not even be happy. But grace tells us that we are accepted approved and loved just as we are. So if Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight with the knowledge of everything you are and are not, total comprehension of your life story and every skeleton hidden in your closet, if he laid out the real estate of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the the mixed motives and the dark desires buried in your psyche, you would feel his acceptance and forgiveness. Experiencing God's love in Jesus Christ, Brendan Manning says, means experiencing that one has been unreservedly accepted, approved, and infinitely loved. So in the book of Luke, going back to when when Pastor Clay talked, Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. This is why we all need Jesus. We're messed up. As individuals, like, we're not going to get it. That's why, that's why God is the father in this story towards us, towards each one of us. He's the father in this story that says, you know what, like, you don't even, we'll talk about repentance next week, but it's not even about all your explanations and all your excuses. Just let me love on you. Just let me hug you. Just let me be for you. I know you spent, I know you spent your life doing whatever you wanted, and I know you spent your life messing all this stuff up, but you know what, you don't have to qualify for anything. St. Augustine said there's no saint without a past and there's no sinner without a future. 1 Timothy, verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. I'm just about done, but I want to give you guys this, this context. Here's what Paul says. Now, 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 what you have to understand about Paul, okay, is that Paul was a terrorist. So you and I, the modern interpretation of terrorist, Paul would fit that description really well. He was amazing at killing Christians. So good at it. It's like his thing. So Paul fit this, he was just the worst of the worst. I mean, he was notorious, he was a notorious sinner. So here's what Paul says. He said, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. It's not about being saved from hell. It's not about making God happy. It's about just understanding that there's this father in your story. I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father looks like. But there's a father in your story who has an inheritance for you who even when you mess up the most, he runs towards you. That's the craziest part of this whole story to me is that that this father runs towards his son who is a complete mess. 
If it was me, I would sit down and I would go, hey, talk to my servant because you know what? I don't have time for you. You're not my son anymore and we'll figure it out. You know, maybe I'll do something for you. Maybe I won't. But the father in this story, he looks at this messed up person, his son, who he loves so much and he's so overwhelmed. He's so overwhelmed with his love for his son that he can't help but run towards him. That is how God deals with us. At our worst days, like you might be having a good day right now. You might be having a good weekend. You might've woke up this morning and felt like, man, I didn't sin yet today. I feel really good. <laughs> Going to church, you got a smile on my face. We didn't fight on, in the car on the way to church today. It's gonna be a good day. Grace isn't there for your good days. Grace is there for your worst days. Grace is there for your days when, when no one sees, when you just feel like your life is falling apart at the seams and you know, you gotta, you gotta keep it all together so that people can, you know, still kind of like wanna be your friend. Grace is, there for the, grace is there for the midst of your worst dysfunction. When, no, when everyone else is leaving, God says, I'm gonna run towards you. And then God says to us, he says, hey, can you just, can you just be this way towards other people? Can you treat people this way? Because this is the kind of stuff that changes the world. Your judgment's not gonna change the world. Your opinion's not gonna change the world. Pointing the finger's not gonna change the world. Telling people that they should change is not gonna change the world. That doesn't mean you don't tell them, but it's just not gonna help anything. The only thing that can change anybody is God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter two, and it says, don't you know that God's kindness will lead you to a place of repentance? The kindness, like the goodness of God in your life. How does God deal with notorious sinners? He loves them and he runs towards them. You just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I know this is first service and we're all really great Christians in here and we got it all right. Um, but man, you might just be sitting here in your life right now. Be like, man, I've a, I'm a mess. Like, I don't know how to get out of the situation that I'm in in my life. I don't know how to navigate myself, you know, past whatever I'm feeling. I don't know how to push beyond. I've tried everything. I'm following all the cool people on Instagram. I'm, you know, trying to read the Bible. I just, I'm just so whatever. I feel like that son in that story that I'm in this situation and I'm going, at, you know, my, my father's servants have it better than I do. I'm feeding these pigs. You know, what the, you know what the son did in that story is he just said, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna go back to dad. I'm just gonna go back to dad because I know dad can take care of me. In this, in this life that we live, it's not about reading another book. It's not about whatever, learning another lesson. It's just about accepting the fact that you're accepted by God. Accepting this gift of grace and this gift of mercy that God says, you know what? You don't gotta be any different. You might not be happy. You might not be successful. You might not feel like you're spiritual. You might not be the kind of Christian that you think everybody else wants you to be. But you know what? I love you exactly where you're at. And let's go on this journey together. If that's you, I just wanna, I just wanna pray for you. I wanna count you in a prayer right now. Because um, we gotta have God do some work in our hearts. We gotta have him just come give us a hug like the father did in this story. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna do anything weird. But if that's you, you say, you know, I know I, know I need to run towards the Father because he's running towards me this morning. I just want you to put your hand up where I can see it and say, that's me. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. 
Everyone that can, that can uh, hear my voice, just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. I choose to serve you. I choose to put you first. Be Lord of every area of my life. I pray right now I would feel your love, your compassion, your grace, your acceptance. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.